Welcome back to Beyond Culture, with a podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between culture and politics. I'm your host, Abel, and today's episode is a conversation between my co-host Ivan, myself, and Jermaine Kamunga. Jermaine has been on the podcast quite a few times, so we wanted to have him on to discuss this really important topic about what's going on around the world and especially in the U.S., I know we've taken some time to address everything that's been happening, but we wanted to do this right. In this three-part episode, we'll be addressing racism, police brutality, and the recent protests. In this first part, we will address the killing of Ahmaud Arbery and the police-involved killing of George Floyd. Furthermore, we'll address the facts around policing in America as well as the policy of carding here in Canada. Take a listen. So we're back, man. This has uh, really been an episode that's been a long time in the making, I would say, since like season one. Abel, welcome back. Thank you, thank you. Jermaine, I know you've been itching to come back on the podcast, man. I think this is this is yeah, yeah, yeah. You're perfect. Oh, I'm not even done introducing I've, this guy. I've been this 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 is how much he's been. I'm too eager. Back. I'm too eager. I'm too eager, fam. This is my subject too. You know, I've been waiting. I heard the ratings were nice, you know. So you had to call the big dog back on the show, and I'm here. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, okay, brother. As Relax. you can see, Jermaine, as Jermaine, Jermaine has really been passionate about this subject for a long time. And as I said, like since season one, we've been planning this episode. Obviously, it was always having Jermaine on because you've been a re- recurring. I would say you're a guest co-host, so you've been here for a long time. And but honestly, man, looking back at this past two, even two three weeks, like it's been like mentally super draining. Like it's. It's to the point where, because I remember back in, back in, uh, back in high school when the the movement was really growing, as in Black Lives Matter movement, like it was the fire and fury was there, right? And every time on social media, Twitter back then too, these videos were popping up, popping up, and I would always, and I was, I would like watch them, and then you would get like enraged at looking at it, but also as I kept watching it, fam, it literally it. It, it became traumatic, like just keeping, keep seeing like black people either get abused by the police or shot by the police. It was looking at it was very traumatic. So I remember like I consciously like, like right after I graduated high school, I kind of stopped watching these videos, like because you know injustices happen, but also at the same time, rewatching those same videos again and again is very traumatic. And people might say, Oh, maybe it's just your humanity, but no, it was, it's, it's different. It's different when you see. Like a, another black person getting beaten by police or abused, and even Abel, you know, I love, I love history. But my kryptonite in watching historical documentaries and shows is I can never watch specific documentaries on slavery itself. Like that, I can't do it. Like it's 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 very it's very traumatic. Since I was a kid, I've never been able to do that. So what I would what I do. Is I read journal articles, um, and yeah, I just read a lot about it, but I can never watch, I can never watch documentaries or shows or anything specifically based on that. I think I've watched one movie on slavery in my whole life. Cause those moments, 
they become very traumatic. So I needed to take that pause after high school when it came to watching these videos and just seeing police brutality. But you know, the moment it was like in 20, in 2018 with when, um, the killing of both of John, that's what really brought me back into really looking at these videos and looking at these cases and following these cases. And because for me, when I saw this, because the, the headline was, uh, uh, Dallas, uh, off duty Dallas officer kills a black, unarmed black man in his apartment. For me, that headline made no sense. Like, literally, if you think about it, it's like, this headline makes no sense. Like, what, what happened there? And as the story comes, uh, comes out more, you learn that the officer was coming off her shift. She thought she was in her apartment. She thought she was being burglarized. And then she shot both of them, John. And it was like, I was like, how does this happen? Cause this could, it was, it, it's one of those risks. Like it could literally be, it could be any of us. Like, how does this specifically happen? And as the case develops and I'm, I watched, I watched a whole trial. I've never watched a whole trial in my life. I watched that whole trial and the case is developing. And to me, the way I interpreted it, it was like the mistake was thinking that apartment was hers. But the series of decisions that she took afterwards, all those actions were decisions that led to the death of both of John. And his, what broke me was when his family spoke about, like, if you just had given him time to let you know, like, yo, you're in the wrong apartment. He probably, both of John was the type of guy that would have probably said, yo, sit down, relax, or get a, eat a bowl of ice cream. Cause he was eating, he was eating ice cream or cereal. He's like, yo, just relax, you know? And that's, that really broke me. And she spoke about that moment where she enters the house and she's just screaming, show me your hands, show me your hands. And both of them, John is like, it's like, it's like, Hey, 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 Hey. And then boom, these are happening within seconds. And it really had me thinking about how fatal the mistakes a police officer makes, makes are like the dorm, the mistakes they make is, is very fatal. Eventually she got charged for, uh, for his murder and got 10 years. But man, it's just, Looking at even that case, it really brought back so many emotions for me as it comes to police brutality and the way police behave. Yeah, um, I know, man. It's uh, it's it's been a hard week, you know. Um, even like we've taken some time to to address this, we haven't really uh, posted much uh, either, like on our uh, social media. Uh, like on the beyond culture social media accounts um and i think some of the people who follow us may be uh wondering why why we're like a little i suppose a bit silent even though we posted on our personal uh personal uh accounts but uh you know like personally uh, uh personally for me i've been grappling with just this experience and how to you know how to phrase and just express my my thoughts you know and how to do to do an episode on this you know and how to do it correctly you know cuz um i i've, I've seen a, a a bunch of podcasts who you know released an episode addressing what they felt um uh as they they saw the murder which is it's you know it's it's just that the murder of George Floyd on, on their screens, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, I just didn't want to limit beyond culture 
to just giving uh, our personal opinions and just saying, okay, this is what we felt. You know, I wanted to take this opportunity to not only just express what we feel, but also, um, you know, raise awareness about on the context of what happened with George Floyd. You know, talk about the the stats behind the uh, police involved killings, the stats around the disparities we see uh, between uh, African American communities and other communities, like white communities in general, and you know, talk about uh, like the the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole, and uh, as as we did, were discussing before getting started here, you know, we've been we've been thinking about doing an episode on on this subject, you know, although um, we weren't planning of doing it uh, in the aftermath of such a, tra- a tragedy, you know, of such trage- of such a, like of such incidents, you know, uh, involving. Uh, involving the death of a of, of a black man, you know, um, but yeah, we've taken some time, but uh, like for for our listeners out there, it was to really not only just deal with our emotions as we, you know, as we saw what happened, you know, as like we're three black men here in our twenties, you know, we're in the like we're the we're the in the age range of uh of most of these, like of, of these most common killings, you know, involving black men, because like this case involved a, a, an older black man, but most of these involve, uh, younger black men, you know, so, um, yeah, I just want people to understand why we took some time to reflect and hopefully we're going to address, um, this incident, you know, in its broadest, uh, context. Jermaine, how about yeah, you? How have like, you been dealing with this? When 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 I see like these videos of like like the thing I don't understand is that for instance, if you harass a dog, you get put in jail. If you kick a dog, you get arrested. But you literally like crush the man to death. Crush the man to death. And like it took that many times to get the charges, like to be honest, when I see a lot of these cases, like mostly when the video comes out, whether it be like the Tamir Rice or like George Floyd example, like like you said, Ivan, to be honest, like it, it's hard to watch. Like really, like every time I watch like these videos, like I almost want to cry, to be honest. And like there's a lot of anger in me, you know? But at the end of the day, you know, I still push myself to watch it. It's like to see because, you know, if you've always been told like, oh, you know, most people are racist or most people are good people blah, 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 not all white people are racist and all that sort of stuff. But when you keep looking these at these videos time and time and time again, and now it's not only just the police killing black men, you got civilians doing that. For instance, you look at like the Ahmad Arbery, I'm, I'm not really going to talk about it, but for instance, like the Ahmad Arbery where like citizens ran after him, shot him. You look at like that Central Park lady that called the cops on like a black man. Like, to be honest, like when you see all that sort of stuff, like, you start to question the society, like, is it really, like, really is most people not racist? Like, really is most people don't want to do to us, like, the police have been doing us? And, like, it's it's honestly infuriating, hard to watch, and, like, there's a lot of anger that comes out in me, you know? Like, 
And really, like, when I look back at the time and I look at some of my experiences dealing with, like, racism and all that, like, to be honest, like, it's, it's at a point where sometimes, you know, I just want to go out there and, like, punch someone, you know, just just for that. So, like, I, I understand what it means. But, like, at the end of the day, too, you also got to control yourself, you know. We live in a society and, like, like acting out like that, like, is it actually going to help your cause? Because all you're, you're doing is you're giving other people munitions, you know. So then, like, it's it's almost like you have to balance out your anger, which is your natural emotion, with, like, self-control. Like, you, you really got to control yourself. And, like, mostly when you go out in society, now when you're dealing with, like, for instance, when you're dealing with a white person, like, it comes to your brain and he says something, like, you don't really, like, comes to your brain. Like, yo, is is this guy, like, did he feed off this this video or, like, did this embolden him? And, you know, like, you start asking yourself, like, all sorts of questions and you start to actually, like, really question humanity. Yeah. And we could even now get into the the Ahmad Arbery case. Um so in highlighting this case, I just wanna like just talk about the main people we'll be addressing in this case. There's Ahmad Arbery who passed away. There's Gregory Mike Gregory McMichael, which is uh, the father of Travis McMichael, and then you have also, William Bryan, which is um, the guy who filmed the video of Ahmad Arbery getting killed. And then you have also uh, the GBI officer who we'll address later on. But so this if, this incident took place on February 23rd. Um, the video, one of the video, surveillance video we see is uh, Ahmad Arbery walk into, walking into an unfinished home. So the house, the house is open. And you're just looking, there's video also of inside the house. He's looking around, thinking, he's just looking around and then he leaves and then he leaves the house. The same moment, um, Greg McMichael is in his front yard and then he sees, uh, Maude Aubrey, uh, around the premises. And that's when the pursuit begins, right? So he, he calls, um, Travis McMichael, his son. And then now this is where the chase begins with Ahmad Aubrey as they're chasing um well for as they said during as uh Travis McMichael and Greg McMichael said in the police report they started they they started chasing him because as I'm quoting here they had uh they had a hunch that Ahmad Aubrey was responsible for a series of burglaries that had happened in a neighborhood previously a police report says that the in the past months leading to this to February 23rd they only had like one break in and that was, uh, Travis McMichael's truck. Somebody stole, um, one of his, uh, one of his weapons, right? So they had a hunch that Ahmad Aubrey was the guy that they had also previously seen in, in this house. And this, and explicitly as Travis McMichael put it to the, to, in the police report, he had no proof whatsoever. So this was on, on his hunch. And this is where the chase begins. They're like, okay. This, this is, this is probably the guy that we've seen before on the premises. Let's go. So start chasing him. And as they're chasing him, they pass, uh, William Bryan's house. William Bryan is the guy that filmed the video of Ahmad Aubrey getting shot. They pass his house. And the report says that William Bryan screamed to the Travis, to make, to the McMichaels. They're like, do you guys got him? They screamed that. And that's when he then enters the chase. So throughout this whole chasing going on, Ahmad Aubrey is switching directions, forward, backward. The truck keeps following him, even to the point where 
one time he ran into a ditch to avoid to avoid uh getting caught by the McMichaels and now William Bryan. On top of that, the recently we found out uh that they hit Ahmaud Arbery with their truck as well as the chase is happening. So they're going back and forth. And now you get to the final scene where Ahmad Arbery is um like the Travis the McMichaels put their truck the truck which I believe is on the right side of the lane. Travis McMichael gets out the truck and he's holding his shotgun on the left side of the uh, left side of the of the of the roadway. And now this is where you see the video the video starts and Ahmad Arbery goes around goes around the truck the other way and then he encounters um Travis McMichaels they struggle for the the gun. Ahmad Arbery gets shot three times. Now, there's two ways. There's two different grievances here that people are looking at. They're looking at the way, this the 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 way the McMichaels and William Bryan chase Ahmad Arbery because you have to understand. Like as I said, there's a case of about report on the report. There's like four times where Ahmad Arbery was trying to run away, switching directions, running into a ditch. So. This fourth time where they meet each other on the road, that's like kind of the final stand. That's where Ahmad Abari gets shot, right? So now there's that, but it's also now the way it was handled by the authorities in the immediate aftermath. So Ahmad Abari's mom, in an interview with The View, she said that the investigator in the case had told her that your son died in a attempted robbery when the homeowner confronted him. That's what they told the mom. That, that happened. The homeowner, which is, uh, Larry English, his name is Larry English, I believe. Homeowner was not there. The homeowner did not confront Ahmad Aubrey. So already there, the investigator lied to Ahmad Aubrey's mom. She was just there and she accepted the story as it was because she didn't see a reason why the authorities would lie to her about this case. After that, uh, and also, just right before that, sorry, I forgot to say this. Um, it was also, and it's out, it's out, it's, out, it's, it's an official, it's official statement made by the GBI officer, which is the Georgia Bureau of, of Investigation. Right after, um, right after Travis McMichael shot Ahmad Aubrey, he said, and I'm quoting here, pardon for the profanity, but I'm quoting here, he's, he called Ahmad Aubrey a fucking nigger. Right before this was, before the police arrived, right after he shot Ahmad Aubrey. So that's important to know. So as I said, now we're in the way the, pol- the, the way it was handled in the immediate aftermath. As I said, the, the investigator told Ahmad Aubrey's mom a false story. And now the Brunswick district attorney, uh, which is Jackie, Jackie Johnson, she recused herself of the case because her, because she, uh, Craig McMichael had worked for, had worked for years as an investigator. Um, Gregory McMichael was an investigator and also an ex-police officer. It's important to note that. Then after you have um um then after you have the the DA George Barnhill who also recused himself at the request of the Arbery's family in April because it later came out that his son had worked alongside Gregory McMichael. Now the video the video that came out um the Ahmad Aubrey video that came out, uh, it came out almost, so yeah, February, almost two months, almost two months after Ahmad Aubrey was killed. So in between those two months, this is what's happening behind the scene. 
in terms of how they're 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 uh, handling the situation. There's no murder and there's no arrest being made. And it's important to note that after um, uh, DEA George Barnhill recused himself, he he released the reasoning why he recused himself, but he also released a statement stating he saw no probable cause of why the McMichaels should be arrested in this case, stating that they were com- they were doing a citizen's arrest and so on and so forth. The video releases May 5th, right? Third third prosecutor, Tom Durden, is appointed on May 5th as the video gains national intention. 36 hours later, the McMichaels are arrested. The McMichaels are charged with uh, murder and aggravated assault. And also, further on, the William Bryan, the guy who filmed the video, is charged with felony murder and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. So, looking at this case and the way it will be handled under court of law is the McMichaels will most likely argue that they were committing a citizen's arrest and that there was a, and that they have a case for self-defense. So looking at Georgia citizens, citizens, uh, citizens arrest law, the only way you could lawfully uh, have a, make a citizen's arrest is if you have immediate knowledge or, my immediate, immediate knowledge, or you have seen, uh, or you have seen a person committing a felony, right? So, without those, without those two, without those two factors, you can't, you you can't uh, commit a citizen's arrest, right? So Georgia's law, citizen's arrest law, states that a private citizen can detain someone if they have reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. So Georgia has had his law in this book since 1863. Now. The uh, as I as I, I said before, Travis McMichael said that he didn't have to, in the police report. He said he has no proof, and this was based on a hunch. This is why they chase Ahmad Arbery. Now, self defense, self defense is also one thing that will be used because as they're struggling with the gun with Ahmad Arbery and uh, Travis McMichael is just struggling. They're struggling for the gun. Then uh, Travis McMichael shoots Ahmad Arbery. He will use self-defense because he will say in that moment he was he was defending himself. If he didn't shoot a monarchy, he would have died. But there's a thing here about self-defense that will be argued by the prosecutor is whether you can use self-defense if you have initiated the contact, right? So as I said before, there's four almost four instances where Ahmad Aubrey was trying to run away. He never he's not the one that initiated, he's running away a few times, and on top of that, they hit him with the truck. And that's where you get to the last stand on that road where they're struggling for the gun. So prosecutor will effect will probably uh will probably um argue that yeah, at this moment he thinks he's already dying. So now he's just trying to save his own life. So this uh so this is what that that will probably be argued in the court of law. Um and yeah, this this basically is a rundown of the Ahmad Aubrey case. Thoughts from uh both from I guess Jermaine first or Abel or Abel, yeah. Yeah, but uh, okay, I'll go ahead. Yeah, no, those facts that you state, like um they're all true. But the thing is, like you said, first of all, how do you claim self defense when you're the one that initiates the contact? Second of all, even because what they're accusing us, they're accusing they said apparently um he was out there doing robberies or whatever. But the video shows where he goes in, and most if it was a charge, it would be a trespass. 
And trespassing is a misdemeanor charge. So if the law says you can only detain someone upon a felony, and at most what he did is a misdemeanor, so then normally the um whatever statute that they want to use, whether it be self defense or whether it be citizens arrest, should be thrown out the case. I mean, should be thrown out the court because, like, like you said, the criteria were not met whatsoever. You know, and it's really, really messed up. Like the part that infuriates people the most is this. If that video did not come out, nothing would have happened. If that video did not leak, nothing would have happened. And not only that is the fact that he was protected because he knew the people who were responsible for trying for trialing him, and they sided with them because they knew him. Nah, no, that, that that really infuriated people. Like this is this is literally corruption. When we talk about corruption in the system, corruption in the police department, that is exactly it. You're going to put your personal relationships ahead to protect someone who has just committed a murder. And not only that, the man committed the murder. They videotape it. They send it all over social media. It was on Snapchat or whatever. They're bragging about the fact that they killed the man. And you're aware of that. And you still don't want to child the man. Like, that, that, that's really infuriating, you know? It's almost as if, like, black people, like, Regardless, because, you know, yeah, people are like, oh, yeah, the law system, blah, blah, blah. The justice system is equal. These are the examples that show that the justice system is not even a justice system. It's an injustice system. You have all the proof that you need. You don't want to do the proper investigation because, you know, you know, you have a personal connection with the person and you let him walk free for two months. And if it was not for that video leaking out, they would still be free men. Now, that, that, that's, that's really messed up. Yeah. Man, for sure. And, um, you know, when people th- talk about the, the corruption in, uh, police departments or in institutions, you know, when there are claims about institutional racism or systemic racism, you know, it's, I think it is, it is sometimes hard for people to grapple what this means, you know, and these are like, these are quite like clear cut examples, you know, of which sh- shows that the police department here and the justice system here you know was was initially like the the way they initially dealt with the with the case was corrupted was corrupt you know and uh like um later on in the episode we're going to address you know corruption and uh, and uh systemic racism you know in uh in uh police departments but uh like for me in this case you know and and this is the point you made Jermaine is is how these videos if there weren't these videos you know how like you know these cases would just be uh shoved under the rug you know because if the, that video didn't leak and if we people couldn't get a hold of this video you know, nobody would have known, you know, they would have, as you mentioned, Ivan, they, they already had lied to his mother, you know, so imagine what happens when there's no video. And, and, and those are the majority of cases, right? So, and this, the same thing here happens, also happens in the George Floyd uh, killing, you know, I'll, I'll get into that shortly. But I just want to ask you, Ivan, could you, like, talk a little bit more about, like, the, the, uh, the ways uh the video came into the 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 public light like do you have any information about that because i was as i told you uh as we were discussing like last night i told you i was a little bit confused about how uh the guy who's who filmed 
this was involved you know because he he was basically arrested and i was wondering how like how um how he was in, he was involved in in the case yeah so basically the guy from the video his name is william bryan so he's uh i'm assuming he's a he's he's a he lives in a neighborhood obviously because they had passed as they're chasing ahmad Aubrey, they passed william bryan's house right you could see there's a security camera that I believe is taken from William Bryan's house and you can see them passing the house and you see William Bryan's truck in his driveway, right? And that's when William Bryan engages in the pursuit as well, right? So that's where William Bryan comes in and he's filming the encounter. The Important to note, the police had that video originally. As soon as the murder was committed and then they were doing their investigation, they already had that video. They, they had it. So... That video wasn't released to the public until later, which the lawyer, William Bryan's lawyer, who might be the worst lawyer I've seen this past decade, he, he said that they released it because they wanted to, they wanted to be transparent and show what, what, uh, and show what happened. And the case they're laying for themselves is that William Bryan was simply a witness and he did not take part, uh, he did not take part in the, chasing down Omar Arbery or anything like that. And they're standing on their ground is that, look, we released this video for all you guys to see. So you guys could see what really happened during this case. So this is the position now they're taking. They're dissociating themselves from the McMichaels. So that's where, that's where, that's where we are right now. And as I said, uh, William Bryan was charged with, uh, attempted to commit false imprisonment and also uh the murder of uh Ahmad Aubrey. So this is where we are right now. Yeah, and plus the thing that's more messed up is like there was a white preacher who did the exact same thing as Ahmad Aubrey, except like he was jogging with the television set on his shoulder, ran down the neighborhood and nothing happened. Like no white person came out to confront him. Like what was that? But like when the black man's out there jogging, like he gets hunted, like like a straight, like I don't, like I don't like an antelope, pretty much, you know, gets hunted as if it's a sport. And these guys have the audacity to post it all over social media, brag about it. They're happy. And the thing that's also like one of the things you pointed up, which is messed up, is I believe when when I was watching the media reports, is the police wanted to make the arrest initially. But the DA stepped in and told them not to make the arrest, and it's like that's what? a great that's a like, great that's a great point you brought up because that's what is has been reported that the two Glen County uh two Glen County commissioners had told the the DA DA Johnson the original DA who recused herself that yo we should make a we should make an arrest but she said they shouldn't make the arrest DA Johnson has has declined that that ever happened but obviously. Now it's a, it's a matter of, um, who do you believe? Cause I'm not sure how they can prove either or, but what we know as a fact is that they, nobody was arrested for two months. So that we know as a fact. And as you, as you, as you guys both brought up perfectly, it's like, I really, really, really wonder if there was no, vi- if that, no, not if there was no video, but if the video had never come out, if that never come out, where would we be today? Would anybody be arrested? Would there ever, would we even be on track to have some 
type of justice. And and uh, yesterday, um, the the judge the judge deemed that there was enough evidence to move forward with this case, so now it's going to move forward. But but yeah, those are those are all all valid questions. And the, and originally when this story came out, people were already saying, "Oh, this is this is one other case of a black man getting." getting shot this is these guys are basically moving like vigilantes shutting uh uh chasing down a black man and the race element was uh the race element was originally you know brought up by a lot by like almost everybody but now we have a confirmation that after travis mcmichael shot ahmaud arbery he's he called him a, a fucking nigger so the the you can clearly see that this is a clear evidence of racism and even to William about William Bryan, the GBI officer said that because now it's the GBI that's handling this case after Tom Durbin, Tom Durden, the third prosecutor moved it to them. The GBI officer said there's also evidence of William Bryan do having uh, racist conversations and etc. They have evidence of that as well. So we have to ask ourselves about ultimately racism played the ultimate factor in why Ahmad Aubrey was killed. And not only that, but ask yourself, how many of these sort of cases are out there where there's no video? You know, that's a question. Like, for every one, like, Ahmad Aubrey type of case, how many hundreds, if not thousands of videos, I mean, how many hundreds, if not thousands of cases go untrial due to the fact that there's not a video when similar things happen? You know? So, like, so that's that's really a question that We've been asking ourselves, it's like, for instance, if you look at, like, for instance, that Central Park lady, um, what she did. Well, how many times that has happened to black men where they've been falsely accused of stuff and, you know, they were actually trialed and arrested. Like, they have a record due to the fact of, um, false, um, false accusations. So, like, really, really, like, this really opens up the and debate. The, I guess, and I now, guess uh, this is a great segue into the George, uh, Floyd killing and, uh, I'm yeah, also, right before you get to the George, mm-hmm. right before you get to the George Floyd killing, which I bet is going to get to, I just want to say that one thing to keep in mind is it does not matter the history or the rap sheet somebody has. These situation like Ahmad Aubrey did not need to happen. Regardless, people always say, "Well, what's the context? What did he?" Do? Fam, as you see, the facts don't point to him committing any break-ins in that neighborhood before. Right, so let's just keep that in mind. I bet you can go now on the George Floyd case. Yeah, wait, 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 not take it about yeah um yeah for sure uh so i so there there are two incidents you know uh that happened on monday may 25th that really uh came in the national spotlight the first one uh happened in new york city and in the in new york city central part as uh jermaine as both you guys have mentioned uh it involved a white woman named amy cooper she called 911 and told the dispatcher that an African American man was threatening her life. The man she was talking, she, she was talking about, uh, Christian Cooper filmed the call, uh, on his phone. 
So uh, Christian Cooper had simply asked uh, Amy Cooper to leech uh, her dog, which is something required in in the area. Um, in the video, before making the call, we see Mrs. Cooper warn- warning uh, Mr. Cooper that she's going to tell she's going to tell them that there's an African American man uh, threatening her life. So this incident uh, caused some, some social upheaval. Uh, as Amy Cooper needlessly, as Amy Cooper needless inclusion of the race of the man she claimed to fear summoned the ancient impulse to protect white womanhood from the supposed threat posed by black men. Um, Amy Cooper has apologized for her actions, but uh, never she was nevertheless fired from her job. Um, which brings me to the second incident. All these, both these incidents happened in the span of 12 hours, I believe. Um, so this, this incident is still most felt in the nation's psyche. You know, um, it, uh, it's the police involved killing of 46 years old black man named George Floyd. So the police was responding to a call from a shopkeeper about someone trying to pass a potentially counterfeit bill. Uh, shortly after the police officer's arrival on the scene, they arrested George Floyd. Surveillance video shows a compliant man being led away in handcuffs, but cell phone video later shows a white police officer's, a white police officer kneeling on George Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes, um, despite protests from the bystanders pleading for George Floyd's life. Uh, when the officer eventually removed his, his knee, George Floyd's body was limp and unresponsive. Uh, he was, so he was later, he was later, uh, proclaimed dead. Uh, both state and private autopsies agreed that George Floyd's death was a homicide, uh, despite the initial criminal complaints claiming that jo- uh, George Floyd had had underlying health conditions, including con- coronary artery disease and hypertensive heart disease. So uh, George Floyd was a father, a brother, a son, and a community leader. He moved to Minnesota looking for a fresh start, an opportunity to better himself and become a better father. He was often described by his family as a gentle giant. All four police officers involved in his killings in his killing were fired on Tuesday, May 20, 26th. Uh, the former police officer who pressed his knee on George Floyd's neck was charged uh, this Wednesday, June 3rd, with a new, more serious count of second-degree murder. And the three other officers on the scene during his killing were charged uh, with aiding and abating second-degree murder by uh, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. Um, and, you know, for me, you know, this, this case is also another one of those cases where if, you know, the, there weren't, if there wasn't video, you know, uh, once again, one can ask what would have happened, you know, in terms of, of uh, justice being served for, for George Floyd, because as we all saw, this was clearly a murder. There's, there's, there's not another word to, to really qualify what happened. This, you know, and, you know, I watched, 
I took some time before watching the 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 full video. I I saw the picture of the of the police officer kneeling on uh, George Floyd's neck, and you know it was shocking. But I, you know, I couldn't bring myself to watch the video for quite some time. And as I watched it, you know, not only the 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 guy who was kneeling on his neck was, you know, he was. It's as if he was. Nothing concerned him, you know. It's as if the person below his his knee was not even a a human being. But also the other three officers who were standing right there, as people were screaming on the street, "You're going to kill him! He's unresponsive. You know, your knee is on his neck. He he can't breathe." And George Floyd was also screaming that he can't breathe. He was calling for his mom. He, you know, this was just terrible. And the other three officers were just standing by the guy and doing nothing, you know, as if nothing is happening, move on with your life, you know, we got this under control, get, get on with it. So, you know, yeah, the, I guess that, that, that's what, uh, I, I, you know, I felt as I, I watched the video, I don't know, uh, what you guys' initial thoughts and feeling were, uh, after hearing about this killing. But to be honest, like, one of the things, like, it's a sad event, but, like, one of the things that is good that that video came out is because you'd have a whole lot of white people that'd be like, well, black people, if you guys complied to the police, if you guys weren't violent, if you guys did not resist, all these events would not happen. Now, this shows that the man was actually complying because you have different videos that show when they arrest him out the car, they put him out, they put him against the wall, he's not resisting, he is complying. First, they put him in the police car initially. They beat him up in the police car, pull him out of the police car to beat him up again, and that police officer sits and kneels on his neck for over for about nine minutes. So that video really exposed to the greater America, mostly like the white society, that a lot of the stuff that we've been saying and that you guys think that oh we can remedy it by all oh, not resisting or whatever, that is not true. That when these police officers look at black people, they look at us as a threat. Period. Whether we're, whether or not we're not resisting. Whether we're resisting or we're not resisting, whether we are complying or not complying, that that really exposed the case. And as you said, um, about like if you look at that video, you look at the man's face, like he has a smirk on his face. Really, he's kneeling on the man's head. You got the crowd around and tell him he's he's not responding. You're gonna kill him. You're gonna kill him. Joe is out there. I'm yelling. I can't breathe. He's he even starts bleeding from the nose. And what the police officer does, like with the blank stare, stares right at the camera with a smirk. What does that tell you? That tells you is, you know what? I'm protected. I can do whatever the hell I want to do. Y'all can't do nothing about it. You know, like, this is really like the unequal, not just the unequal treatment that we face, but it also speaks to the fact that when black people say that police officers don't look at us as a human, they don't. How can you sit down there, put your knees on men like, for about nine minutes. After the first seven minutes, the man became unresponsive. He peed on himself. Like he peed on himself. And this guy did not want to take off his knees. So after the man's already dead, you keep kneeling. Then what is most insulting is after that nine min- minutes of ordeal, they call the ambulance. Like, are you kidding me? You had your neck. The man was yelling, I can't breathe for over, um, seven minutes. You still kneel him. Then after you call the ambulance, come on, man. Like, like this. This is so messed up. This is so infuriating. And what I hate the most is this. 
you got a whole lot of people, mostly white people, they're going to be like, well, this is a few bad apples, this is, he doesn't represent the whole police force, blah, blah, blah. Well, wait, have you heard of the expression, like, the few bad apples run the whole barrel? Like, you know, we can't keep saying, oh, these, these are isolated examples. No. Isolated is when it's one, two case. But when you see, like, 10, 20, 30, 40, and it has been happening for decades and on, decades and decades. When are we going to finally say to be like, you know what? There's a problem with the whole system. And it does not matter about individualities. Because also one thing that people need to understand when it comes to the police force is this. When you put on that uniform, you represent the system. And when you put on that uniform, when you go through that training, like, you, you're not that individual anymore. You're not an individual. You are part of the body. So if the culture in the police force is run, whether you're a good individual or bad individual, like, you get socialized with their culture and you start acting like the way they act, you know? So, like, when are we going to get past this false rhetoric that a few bad apples, a few bad apples? And also another thing I want to say is this. How come when the police does a crime, we single them out as an individual? But when the black community, when a black person does a crime, it's, oh, all of them are like that. Oh, black people are gangsters. Black people can't behave themselves. Black people are criminals. So wait. We generalize the action of one black person to represent a whole community, but we can't do that with the police. That in and of itself show a double standards in how we deal with a lot of these issues, and it makes no sense. Yeah, and even even to to your point, because sometimes people say, "Yo, context, context, context. What happened before? What happened after?" Now you have the whole context, and it's crazy to even look at it because. This is over $20, supposedly a $20 counterfeit bill. So from a $20 counterfeit bill, you, you, the, the series of events that happen after that, somebody puts, the police officer puts his knee on, uh, George Floyd's neck and George Floyd eventually, eventually dies and is murdered by that officer for $20. That, what's stupendous to me is, like these situations do not need to happen. Why? Why is it happening over twenty dollars? And people and now you have people talking about, oh well, George Ford wasn't a good man. They bring out a rap sheet from years ago. Like so, because of what you supposedly could have done years and years ago, somebody could is allowed to put your his knee on your neck. Is that what we're saying is acceptable because you have some sort of past? That makes, for me, that makes no sense. And it, it just, I, I come back to this all the time, man. It's $20, man. A $20, $20. I don't even know if it's even confirmed yet whether it was counterfeit or not, but like over $20. This is where we're at right now. Over $20. That. And yet. And yeah, no, what you said is so true. Like, what's the point of jail then? If we're not gonna, like, what's the point of jail? Like, if someone does something bad, he gets arrested, and once he comes out, he already paid his due to society. So if we're going to keep keep the records on people's head like that, so then what's the point of putting them in jail for? Like, you know, like jail is supposed to be a correctional institution. Like people say, jail is supposed to be the place where when you do something bad, you get put in there, so you reflect on your actions, so when you come out, you become a better man. So how can we say on one hand, well, jail should be a correctional facility, blah, 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 but on the other hand, after someone pays his due, we're still going to hold up, hold it against his head. That makes no sense. And not only that, George Floyd did that, it's a $20 counterfeit. 
um, excuse me, that white boy that went in there, like, the movie theater, shot up about, like, 20 people, injured, like, over, like, like, tens, if not, like, about, like, what is it, 60, 80 people, he still got arrested. He still got arrested alive. Dylan Roof went into a black church, shot down about, well, I believe, nine people, still got arrested alive. Not only does he get arrested alive, he gets brought to Burger King. Burger King, are you kidding me? This guy is a serial killer, just finished killing nine people. You knew he was armed with an AR-15 or whatever, what kind of rifle. You arrest him, and you bring him to Burger King. Not only that, it's, if you look at, I don't know if you guys still look at that video, there's a video of a white man with the sword. A sword. He's out there swinging it at the police. And somehow, someone gets arrested alive without a single shot being fired. Are you kidding me? This is not no one-off thing. This is not, oh, this is a bad police. This is the institution. It's an institutional thing. And that is it. Like, if you look at the way these police officers are trained. Because a lot of people would say, oh, well, it's bad training, blah, blah, blah. You can't say it's bad training. Because if it was bad training, they'd be doing the same thing to white boys, right? They'd be doing the same things to the Asians. They'd be doing the same things to Arabs. So how come when it comes to dealing with all these other communities, they act cordial, they know what to do and what to say. But when it comes to the black community, they're out there beating us up, killing us. This ain't got nothing to do with training. This is because it's an institutional thing. They're taught to fear the black man, and this goes to not just the police department in and of itself, this goes to like the whole American society. There is this narrative that has been reinforced for centuries upon centuries that black men are a threat, black men are dangerous. So when you reinforce that, um, the source of belief, what does that make? So then people associate, the first thing you see when you see a black man, you see danger. This is why we're attacked like this. So when we're talking about these issues, we need to stop trying to use scapegoated, tried to use excuse, oh, well, he did this, he did that. When people who did worse, who did worse, are arrested, they're alive, and they're even brought to Burger King. Makes no damn sense. Yeah. Um. And, uh, you know, you guys, both you and Jermaine, you, Ivan, and Jermaine mentioned, uh, like, the conversation about a few bad apples and, oh, this is an isolated incident, you know. And, you know, well, just looking at the data, that's not true, you know, like, obviously, we have these videos, these uh, individual videos where we see what happens with, you know, multiple black men who are killed or maltreated by, by the police. But we also have some data, you know, although the uh the police does a pretty bad job in the US keeping data on 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 these incidents but we have data you know and that's why i also want to get into the facts of uh, of police brutality in america and just actually give the broader context because you know the broader context does not support the claim that this is a one off incident you know um so according to data from the mapping poli- mapping police violence more than uh, 1,000 unharmed people die, died as a result of police harm every year between 2013 and 2019. Uh, about a third of them were black, which means that black folks are three times more likely to be killed by the police, by the police than white folks. You know, so of the 1,146 and uh, 1,092 victims of police violence in 2015 and 2016 respectively uh the data shows that 52% were white 26% were black and 17% were hispanic 
you know, uh, despite the recent awareness that Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement has brought to these to these killings and these incidents, only about one percent of police officers involved in these deaths are charged with a crime, and even less are convicted, according to Mapping Police Violence. It is important to note that there's no reliable government data on police-involved killings, you know. And, you know, and also this discussion, you know, I've been, I suppose all of us have been uh, looking at this discussion on social media and uh, how people are kind of reflecting what's happening in the U.S. and in Canada, you know. the the racial disparities of police involved killings are not limited to the US you know uh there's an investigation by the CBC that found that between 2000 and 2017 black people made up to 36.5% of fatalities involving Toronto police uh despite only making up to 8.3% of the the city's population you know so there there's this I, there's always this uh, excuse of trying to hide behind the stats, you know, saying, okay, but th- this is and this is just a, a one-off thing. It's just a one bad apple. But if you even look at the stats, you know that the stats don't support don't support th- that argument, you know. And and I don't know. Uh, yeah. I guess, yeah, and this can, uh, we, we can, we'll talk about, like, we'll talk about other policies, uh, involving the police and, uh, and black people and how the, the, the stats also pale, in, uh, in numbers in comparison to how these policies are affected. I know, Ivan, you want to talk about, uh, 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 about carding. So, um, so if you want to get into that, we can, we can do that as well. Well, yeah, even right before we get into carding, I kind of also about the police killing stats, though the the greatest misuse I've seen of these stats is when people argue, well, much more white people have been killed by police throughout the whole year. If you look at the stats, obviously more white people have been killed by the police, but white people are the majority of the country. Black people make 13% of the U.S. population, yet they're 2.5, uh, they're, they're 2.5% more likely to be shot by police. So we're talking about per population. It's one thing to say on a grand scheme of things, look, white people are getting shot more than police, but look at the likelihood of it happening per population. You're talking about 13% of the population, which is the minority of the population getting killed 2.5% more than the majority of the population. And now people will go to like, okay, well, look, 30% of the population, they commit close to 50% of the crime. Understand one thing also about the, about these crimes, because these, these are such complex issues. It's, it's not the using a data point to, and, and having a simple, a simple, let's say, uh, a, a, a simple, I say dissertation or, or just, a simple understanding of why it's happening. It's not enough yet. It's a complex issue when you're looking at even crime. Cause as you were talking about before, there is a, there is a wealth gap there that has been going on for, for centuries and centuries, right? And these lead on not only the wealth gap, but also redlining in neighborhoods. All of these factors lead to another, to the greater factor, which then ultimately leads to being 
more highly police being in a more highly police community, which then leads to more interaction with the police, which leads to you more likely being shot by the police. So I think some people use that very unresponsibly. Like I think we need to really look at how complex this issue is. Yeah, and when you're talking about how complex the issue is, if you may allow me to break it up, break down the system, how it came about, is really if you look at like modern day policing where it stems from, if you look at, at about like um, after the civil rights movement, after the 60s, what did the U.S. government see? It seemed that a lot of these black liberation movements, this is how we call them, whether it be like the Black Panther, whether it be like Martin Luther King civil rights, um, Malcolm X, etc., all these different black groups. So what the American government seen is that all these groups were getting funded by everyday black people. You know, by black people that would be like mechanics, by black people that would be painters, carpenters, etc. So then what the American government has gone about the business to do is this. In order to stop the rise of all these movements, what we have to do is we need to stop the funding. So what did the government do after the death of Martin Luther King? Well, the first thing the government do, did in the 70s is that it took out all the trade schools in, um, all the trade schools in public schools. So if you go back in the 60s, 50s, 40s, even that, like, when you graduated from high school, you could have graduated with a trade. That means when you graduated from high school, you could have been a licensed plumber, a licensed barber, a licensed electrician, and you could have actually had, a, had like, um, create your own income in that way. So then what the government did is it removed all these trade schools, put them into colleges and universities, etc., so now when kids graduate from high school, you don't have those, those, um, you don't have those, um, you don't have, um, those credentials, which allows, yeah, those opportunities, which allows you to go back in the community and, um, actually work and make a living. And not only that, what the government has done is de-industrialize the black communities, which is you take all these jobs and you ship them to Mexico, you ship them to China, you ship them to, um, India and all these other countries. So what that has done is it has created a vacuum where there's no economic opportunities, where black people could not make a, a decent living or a living period. So then what did the government do after that? So after it has de-industrialized the world, after it has stripped black people of all the economic opportunities they had, what they did is they sent in the CIA. What did the CIA do? They started employing crack, pushing crack and guns in the neighborhood. Why? You push crack and guns for two reasons. First reason is... When you push them, it's the people are going to use the drugs and they're going to kill themselves. And they're going to die from like overdose and other health-related disease. You push the guns, why? Because you create all these fake divisions, which are like all these gangs and etc. to fight amongst each other to keep the population reduced. After that, what do you do? You send in police officers. Why do you send in police officers? To retrieve the same drugs and the same guns that you push into the neighborhoods. Why? Again, it's to lower the population. So you take the black people and those black men, because those are who they targeting, you bring them to prison. Why? Why you bring them to prison? Not only by bringing them to prisons, you reduce the population rates. Why? Because women cannot reproduce without men. Second of all, prison is the only legal entity which allows slavery. So if you look at the 13th Amendment, which has abolished slavery, for um, which has abolished slavery, but in jail. So you put those black men in jail to work, for cheap, where you make like about, what is it, 25 cents a day or something like that, to work for all these big corporations. And after, in the 90s, what do you do? Well, you reward the black women for being single, which, um, which welfare and all these other, uh, welfare and all these other, um, all these other governmental system 
to reward black single women. So then what you have done eventually is you have taken the black men out of the house, um, lowered their ability to provide for the family, and made black women dependent on the government. And this is like the situation that has created for, that has paved the way for why crime in black communities are elevated. Because the reason is simple. There is no jobs. There's not a lot of opportunities for everyone. So if there's not a lot of opportunities and you need to provide for your family, what are you going to resort to? You know, like some people are forced to sell drugs just to feed their family because the American government has created a system in which either you're going to sell drugs or you're going to die. So this is one of the things that people don't talk about. We need to talk about how the system was created for black people to be out there, sell drugs, shoot at each other, gangbang, and do all these other stuff. And uh, even still staying on the relationship between the community and the police, I want to kind of get in a bit into carding. Carding is also, it's like the Canadian version of stop and frisk. And what we saw with stop and frisk is basically um users you're a police officer like they detain someone they search them under reasonable suspicion and this could be and um so this is when they they start searching civilians and suspect on the street for weapons and contraband and this is done under the reasonable suspicions which could i.e be racial profiling i.e be where you live in a certain neighborhood and amongst there's a lot of there's a lot of different uh, factors they look at when they when they do these actions. And I want to kind of talk, talk a bit about how it, it's uh it was uh it was happening in uh, Canada. So carding basically it's officially known as community contact policy. I I love the word. It's a, uh, what a great way to describe it. So is an in- intelligence gathering policy involved in the stopping, questioning, and documenting of individuals when no particular offense is being investigated. So I'll even talk about my own uh, uh, carding experience because I didn't even, when it had happened, I didn't even know, I, wouldn't even, I didn't even know I was, I was being carded. Like it was, uh, it was between grade 11, grade 12. So that's 2015, 2016, where I remember just leaving my neighborhood. My neighborhood, is, it, it was a mixed income. So you have housing and then you have uh, also peop- uh, people that, that buy that buy houses or whatever so it's mixed income right so i'm just leaving i'm going to go pick up my brother and then uh, all i hear is 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 hey man and i'm just like i i go towards the noise i'm like oh like like hey and i'm like and i realize i'm like oh shoot it's police officers so i'm like i'm like i'm just like i'm like hey and they're like uh they're like hey you you live around here i'm like i'm like yeah i live i remember i was stuttering bro i was like yeah i live uh 77 and then they're like oh uh what's your name and i said my name and then and they're 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 asking where are you going i'm like i'm gonna go pick up my brother they're like where's his where are you picking him up i'm so many questions i'm like i'm gonna i said the street and then they're like they're like and and it kind of for like two three seconds it was like awkward silence as if they were waiting for me to say something and they're like oh we're doing this because we want to, we're, we're, we've been having uh, reports about, they said a mix of like, it was like noise complaints and burglaries or whatever. And that, I did not hear about that. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what, I wasn't sure what they were, they were talking about. And they're like, do you hang out or outside a lot or whatever? And I'm just like, nah, not really. Cause I really, I wasn't in the streets like that. So I said, not really. And then they're like, okay, you could go along. So I ended up leaving and it's not like, 
for a while that I, I looked back to that situation and I'm like, under what suspicion did they even stop me? Because if this, because this is the policy of carding, right? Is stopping people asking for asking them for their information and keeping their information in a database. I'm like, under like they see me walking. I'm wonder under what criteria did they like. Yeah, this guy, this guy right here. And I could simply not find another one, but except for the fact that it was racial profiling, because most likely I fit the description of possibly the guy that they believe has been doing this noise complaints and burglarizing. So they're like, them, they're like, I fit the complaint. So they, they stopped me and they, and they asked me. And, and I'm not in that situation. I wasn't those people. I'm not one of those people that is going to be like, I don't need to be, I don't want to answer your questions. I'm just like, I just wanted to like finish the situation and cut, but that specifically showed me how inefficient the carding system is. It's because if you are stopping a guy like me, you're wasting your resources tragically. Cause I'm like, I'm not saying I'm a state, but I've never committed a crime that would require me to be detained by the police. I don't understand why they would stop me. So it just showed how much the carding system was inefficient. And uh, I want to get uh, into uh, Justice Michael Tulick, which who is a, can- a Canadian judge. He's the first black judge appointed by the Ontario uh, Court of Appeal, and basically, they um, they he was appointed by the previous Liberal government to basically find find out like is carding very like is it even efficient to have a such thing as carding? And he made a three hundred and ten page report and released it in twenty nineteen, and in in his uh. In his report, he talks, he talks about it. He's like, there's little to no evidence that a random, unfocused collection of identifying information has benefits that outweigh the social cost of the practice. Cause understand one thing is that I was only carded once and that's the last time I was ever carded, but there's people who get carded like almost every month. Like, um, I forgot. I think it was Desmond Cole talked about he was carded like 50 times. Like I couldn't imagine being carded like 50 times and in 2017 they they refined the law so that now the police officer have to stipulate that you don't need to do this you don't need to be here uh, you don't need to give it this is all voluntary now they implemented that but that was before i was carded so i they never told me all oh, this is voluntary because this that wasn't the rule back then so again the relationship between the community and the police deepens like it really deepens to like to when you talk about specifically carding, like there's distrust there because like yo, why am I being detained for something I didn't I didn't do? Like well, this makes no sense to me. Yeah, um, yeah, man, it's uh, like these policies, and you know what's even crazy is that uh, these sort of policies, these unfocused policies, don't even work. To be honest, you know, and you know, um, uh, just. After this, I'm going to talk about the the stop and frisk uh, program in in New York, and just just give you the the stats about to how efficient these policies are, and they they have you know uh, huge side effects, you know huge unintended consequences, you know people who like being stopped fifty times by the police, you know that you know that ruins your your relationship as as a citizen with with the police, you know and you know, uh, yeah, Jermaine, you can you 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 can jump. And also, 
Yeah, and also you have to take into consideration that a lot of these interactions aren't pleasant. Like, if I were you the scrap too, it would probably be a pleasant interaction. For some people, they're actually, like, pushed to the ground. They're actually, like, grabbed. They're actually insulted and whatever. So, th- these are not pleasant um I'm sorry to interrupt. Like, interactions. Like even, even, even to the point of it being pleasant, the only reason... It was pleasant because I is because I was so confused. I didn't know what was going on. So obviously, I'm just I'm taking it as I go. But there's some people where it happens all the time, and as you're you're gonna talk about right now, it becomes very unpleasant. Yeah, it becomes very unpleasant because I remember even one time I was watching CNN and there was this guy in New York who explained like um how stop and frisk affected him. He's like, yo, I would be walking at home with I just came out of the convenience store with my bag of milk. Let the police officer come. They come, they pull you, they push you to the ground, they threw my milk bag. Then after when they eventually found out that I did not fit the description, they did not even apologize. All they did is got into the car and left. So, like, when we look at these sort of policies, not only, as you say, they're ineffective, because if you look at the numbers, like, that does not reduce crime. Like, to be honest, that does not um, reduce crime at all. It's like, for instance, if you look at, like, airport screenings, I remember one time, I was looking at the documentary about airport screening, and one of the analysis said, he's like, yo, not one time in the instance, ever since airport screening became mandatory, that it actually stopped someone from bringing a bomb into a plane. Like, for instance, if you look at the, the Delta kid, that Sudani kid that brought the bomb to try to blow up Delta, I mean, there were metal detectors and all that, that did not stop him from bringing the thing in, and he still brought it in. So if you look at a lot of these policies where some people will argue, oh, they are effective. Not only they are not effective, because some others will be like, well, it's a dissuasion technique. No, it's not. Like, to be honest, all that means is if I want to do something, I need to scheme smarter. That's all that means. Like, they actually are not only not effective, they're a waste of resources, like you said, Ivan. Look at how much money we're spending on police just to go out there and over-police these neighborhoods. Where we can spend some of that money to improve our healthcare, to improve public housing, to make life more affordable for Canadians or even Americans. But we're spending it over nonsense where we're out there harassing people who in which we can recruit to even help the community, you know? Like, for instance, a person like you could be, for instance, a liaison agent between the police and the community. But relax, if we're out there going harassing relax, the same... Relax, relax, Okay, well, not... Well, <laughs> relax, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, not I, you, I but like, for instance... If, yeah, no, I, but not you. Like, for instance, <laughs> if you look at, like, what the FBI has been doing in the mosque with, like, um, where they're actually trying to get, like, imams and people uh, of Muslim faith to come out and denounce terrorists. But if you're out there harassing those same people, well, how are they going to be willing to come out and actually, you know, help you when you're actually in the time of need? So, you know, not only is it a waste of resources, the people in which you can recruit in order to try to help you, like, you scare them away and it just furthers to, it just furthers the vibe the community you relationship with the police whatsoever and the trust of the community and the police. And that creates even more problems. Because really you have problems where people are like, yo, I don't want to snitch. I don't want to snitch not only why, because I'm scared of retribution, but why? Because the police out there harassing me. So why am I sitting down there going to waste my time, actually going to put my life in risk in order to help the police when those are the same people that come out here beat me every day, you know? And I know like, it makes and no I, sense. And also they add also like, how do I know you're going to protect me? Like, how do I know if yeah, I do exactly. this? How are you going to protect me? <laughs> That's the most important thing. 
And if you have that deepened divide with the community, how are the community supposed to think that you're going to protect them if they do these actions, mm. as you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and not only that, like, and wait, wait, let me add one thing. Not only that, it's like, for instance, I'm pretty sure you guys seen the case of the neighbor that called the police saying, oh, my neighbor's door is open and they came to shot him. So now people are going to be less reluctant, more reluctant to call the police in terms of emergency. Because you're scared that, oh, if I call the police, the situation might not be that serious and they might actually, you know, brutalize, kill or arrest someone for no reason. So we have community people who are actually there, you know what, forget about this police thing. We're going to go out there, handle it ourselves. And we only resort to the police when it's like an extreme, an extreme case. And that just does a disservice to the community as a whole. Not only by um, furthering relationship, but it allows a lot of these criminal elements to operate unchecked. Mm-hmm. And about you wanted to give us like some stats on stop and frisk. And... I th- I think it's uh, better if we take a pause here, and then when we come back, uh, I'll get into stop and frisk in New York. All right.